0: shared before uh, in the time that I've been here that one of the things that was really instructive and instrumental for me when I was in seminary about 10 years ago was gathering every morning for morning prayer. We had this beautiful chapel uh, at Duke and it was called Goodson Chapel and every morning the Anglicans and the Episcopalians and the token Methodist would gather together very early in the morning and we would use uh, the book of common prayer and we would use rite Two of morning prayer. Uh, anglicans episcopalians all over the world will use these same words every single morning in morning prayer and it's it's a a beautiful occasion opportunity every day to have the rest of your days reformed by what you say in the morning and after you do it just a week or two you start to memorize all of the, the the words that repeat but there is one thing that changes every day and that's the scriptures that are read so we have these customary prayers that we would say every single morning, and then there were always the scriptures, the daily office, readings for every single day of the year. Now, there weren't that many Anglicans and Episcopalians and a token Methodist at Duke at the time, so some Sundays or some days during the week, there would only be five or six of us doing morning prayer. Uh, sometimes there'd be up to 20, but usually it was, it was a pretty small crowd. And because somebody had to lead us in morning prayer, they would always come in early and they'd get out the, the BCPs and hand them out, but then they would wait and they would pick someone to read Scripture. They would wait to see who the early birds were and they'd find someone they'd say, Robert, would you like to read Scripture today? Freeman, you're, you look like you've got a smile under that mask. Would you like to read God's holy word to the people of God? And you know who they picked just about every day? The token Methodist why well I think because I was usually the earliest person there other than the person leading so there were many 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 days where I would I would be sitting in a pew and I I would be looking down not really in prayer but I just didn't want to get picked because sometimes you don't want to have to stand up in front of everybody but almost exactly 10 years ago to the day somebody came and tapped on my shoulder and they said Taylor will you read scripture today I mean, how do you say no to that? I mean, they, that's not an easy thing to say. Well, of course I'll read, I'll read. So we went through the whole prayer service. We, we said all the prayers we usually say. And then I stood up in front of everyone to read the appointed scripture for the day. And it was John 18, which is what I'm going to read in a couple minutes. And it's this moment with Pontius Pilate and Jesus. Jesus has been arrested. He's been brought before Herod. And now he's before Pontius Pilate. And they have this back and forth. Are you the king of the Jews well you say that I'm the king of the Jews well it's your people that brought you to me what have you done well I've come to change the world I've overcome the world and they go back and forth and back and forth and so I'm sitting there I'm reading this and at the end Jesus says I've come to testify to the truth whoever listens to the truth listens to my voice and Pontius Pilate says what is truth it's a great question but that's how the scripture ends what is truth before I had a chance to say the word of God for the people of God thanks for the God, I said what is truth and a man shouted out boy that is one hell of a question <laughs> what is truth boy that is one hell of a question the man who said that is Stanley Harawas. we have a picture of him uh, this is Stanley he was my ethics professor at school And he came to morning prayer every single day. Now, Stan the Man um, became sort of famous as things go in terms of theology because he likes to push the envelope. Uh, He is known for having a pretty salty tongue. I won't tell you, I I, I don't wanna get that much in trouble. I won't repeat some of the things I heard him say in his lectures, Um, but uh, after he said that that day, he and I both walked down to his lecture hall because we were going to his ethics class and he decided to change his lecture. And he said, I just heard someone say, what is truth? Today, we're going to find out the answer to that question. He's from Texas, and he's got this high-pitched Texan drawl. Stanley is famous for saying things like, Jesus Christ is Lord, and everything else is baloney. Except he doesn't say baloney when he says it. He's known for saying, uh, it's important for us to remember, the only democratic moment in the gospel is when the people choose Barabbas instead of Jesus. So remember, we always get the politicians we deserve. And then perhaps my favorite, favorite favorite comment from him of all: the only problem with American Christianity is it's usually more American than it is Christian. Now, if you have red, white, and blue in your veins, that might make you a little uncomfortable. It's kind of an awkward, strange comment to hear someone make. Well, I, I had dinner with Sand right before the pandemic. We were having dinner together in Northern Virginia. I said, Dr. Harwas over your career, you know, you've been famous for some some of these things you say. "Have Have you felt like anything's really changed? Have things gotten better? He said, no, they've gotten worse. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I go to a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I've been going there for decades, and I have people in my church now who refuse to speak to each other. Just four or five years ago, they were in the kitchen, making baked goods together, making Brunswick stew out in the front lawn. I mean, they did all kinds of stuff, but now they won't, even t- they won't even sit near each other in church anymore. I said, well, Dr. Harawas, why? Even though I knew the answer to the question. He said, politics, you idiot, politics, they've ruined us, they've ruined us. But never forget, dear boy, we get the politicians we deserve. our scripture reading today is the scripture reading i read that day all those years ago it's john 18 verses 33 through 38 then pontius pilate entered the headquarters again he summoned jesus and he asked him are you the king of the jews jesus answered do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me pilate replied i'm not a jew am i your own nation and chief priest handed you over to me what have you done Boy, that's one hell of a question. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, I don't know if any of you remember this, but it was just a few years ago that there was a very, very contentious presidential election. I'm sure you all don't know what I'm talking about. There was someone named Hillary Clinton and someone named Donald Trump, and they both Really wanted to be president. Now, more money was spent on that presidential election than any other election in history, until the last one. Families were divided in a way that they'd never been before, or so said the talking heads on television every night. I, myself, at the time, tried to bring a semblance of fidelity to this strange political season by having a prayer service at the church that I was serving. I wanted to to have people understand that we, we have more in common as Christians than our political proclivities would tell us. So I planned to break bread with all who gathered together so that no matter what happened with the election, we would remember that we belong to the kingdom of God and that we together are disciples of the King of Kings. So the night of the prayer service, I welcomed everyone that came. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our church for this election prayer worship service we're going to have communion we're going to have scripture it's going to be great but before we begin i'd like all the republicans to sit on the right half of the sanctuary i'd like all the democrats to sit on the left half of the sanctuary and if you're somewhere in the middle there is a center aisle in which you can find a place to sit nobody thought it was funny i thought it was hysterical that's the problem with being a preacher sometimes Apparently, the president, uh, presidential election was no laughing matter. So when the day of the election arrived, I made my way to my voting location, which just happened to be the local Seventh-day Adventist church. I pulled into the parking lot that morning, and I witnessed red hats screaming at blue shirts, and blue shirts screaming at red hats. Yard signs were adorning every single yard within shot, and I can distinctly remember that every poll worker looked decisively dreadful. So I ascended the outdoor stairs into the church fellowship hall and I took my place in line. I waited patiently for my opportunity to fill out my little Scantron form. I saw slumped shoulders and furrowed brows and fidgeting fingers as if all of us just could not wait for this to be over. And then it was my turn. So I filled out my little form. I brought it over to a machine that promptly ate my vote. Ding! Congratulations! You are the 77th person to vote at this voting location. And I sighed. I was just so happy it was over. And then I looked up. Because, again, I was in a church fellowship hall, and, and on the back wall was a mural of Jesus. Now, it wasn't Jesus hanging from the cross. It wasn't Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was Jesus laughing his butt off. And I thought, how perfect. Here we are, thinking we're going to change the world. And how does Jesus respond? He laughs in our faces. The disciples betray, abandon, and they deny Jesus. He gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is dragged before the high priests and the scribes. He stands accused before Pontius Pilate. Who are you? this political occupier intones. Remember, when Jesus entered the city on the back of a donkey with a respectable crowd, Pontius Pilate was entering the city from the other side. Imagine tanks and soldiers and flags and, and banners. They both entered the same time, and now, a few days later, the two of them are sitting face to face. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asks, which is another way of asking, are you a threat to my emperor's power? Well, do you really want to know? Or did other people tell you about me? Look, dude, why do you keep answering all my questions with questions? It's your own people who brought you here to me. So tell me, what did you do? My kingdom, Jesus says, is not from this world. If it were, my disciples would be storming the gates of your palace, and they would be doing everything in their power to take your power away. But as it stands, my kingdom, my kingdom's is different. So then you are a king. Pilate asks, if you say so, but frankly, it doesn't really matter. This is why I was born. This is why I came into the world. I'm here to tell the truth. And whoever belongs to the truth listens to me. Pilate asks, what is truth? That's where the scripture ends today. This unanswered question that just sort of lingers and dangles in the air. But I think it's important for us to... read and find out what happens next, because what happens next, I think, answers Pilate's question. It's right after this that Pilate goes out to the religious leaders again, and he says, I find nothing wrong with this man. And yet Pilate knows there's a custom every year on Passover during which the empire's representative would release one person from captivity to kind of placate the crowds. So Pilate goes, and he addresses this great horde of people, and he says, Do you want me to release Jesus? This so called king of the Jews, or do you want me to release Barabbas, the political insurrectionist? Who would you like to save? And everyone shouts, Jesus, Jesus, we want to save. No, of course they don't. They say, Give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Pilate let the crowd choose who they will save. Jesus is beaten, he is bedraggled, he is adorned with a crown of thorns, a purple robe. He carries the instrument of his own death to a place called the skull. He is nailed to a cross and above him on the cross there is an inscription that says, this is the king of the Jews. Why was Jesus killed? That question is almost as hard to answer as what is the truth. You don't kill someone for asking you to be nice And wasn't Jesus just trying to get us to all like each other a little bit more? If the gospel, if the ministry of the Lord is merely treat other people like you want to be treated, then why did he end up on a cross? I think you kill someone because you don't like their truth. What happens to Jesus isn't something that's personal and private, it's not something that just remains in our hearts. What happens to Jesus, to him, in him, it's very public, it's very political. Now, if the authorities just wanted to be rid of Jesus, they could have killed him and thrown him in some back alley of Jerusalem, but that's not what they did. They wanted to make an example of him, they wanted to make a political statement. This is what happens when you call our power into question. And yet, here, on Christ the King Sunday, we confront the terrifying and the life giving reality that our King, he rules from the cross. Jesus' throne is not built on the blood of his enemies. His throne is cruciform. The only blood it contains is his own. At Christ the King Sunday, it might seem like something Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. It is a very recent addition to the church calendar. We only started celebrating Christ the King Sunday in 1925. We've only really been doing this for about 100 years. So you wonder why? Why in 1925 did Christians start celebrating this? Well, Pope Pius XI... In 1925 said the last Sunday of the liturgical year will be forever be Christ the King Sunday. And he did so because of the rise of fascism in Europe. He saw how other people were fighting for power and he said, let us remember who's really in charge. Celebrating the reign of Christ is just one way of proclaiming the gospel truth that if we believe Jesus is lord then it means some things have to change. Or another way to put it is we have to let what we believe shape how we behave. The salvation that is given to us by cross and resurrection, it makes us citizens of a time and place that is in tension with all other forms of citizenship. For instance, the world tells us to earn all we can. The kingdom tells us you already have what you need. The world tells us that winners finish first. The kingdom tells us that the last Will be first. The world tells us that we are defined by our mistakes. The kingdom tells us our king is the only one who can tell us who we are. It does not get more political than this in church, and yet inherent in today's proclamation is a challenge. We have to come to grips with what it means to pledge allegiance to our King of Kings, and that's hard because we live in a democracy. We don't mean we don't know what it means to have a king. That's why we left England all those years ago. We don't want a king. We want to pick who's in charge kings are not chosen so to be abundantly clear jesus is not our president this isn't jesus president sunday jesus christ the king sunday and it's that way for good reason because i promise you we never would have picked jesus ever turn the other cheek go the extra mile take up your cross and follow me those are not good political slogans A campaign manager would say, ah, Jesus, that's not going to fly. If you want to be in the Oval Office, that's not going to work. Contrary to how it's been portrayed in the church, and even in culture, we don't actually pick Jesus. When all is said and done, the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes to dwell among us. And when Jesus comes to us, you know what we do? We nail him to the cross. When we have the choice between Barabbas and Jesus, we choose Barabbas. Which makes Jesus' final words all the more powerful. Forgive them, Lord. They do not know what they are doing. Jesus isn't trying to win an election. He's not trying to convince us of anything. He's not offering empty promises that will become manifest in the next two to four years. Jesus brings us a kingdom that is in himself. He brings the future to us. Some of us are here this morning because, well, we can't imagine being anywhere else. It's Sunday morning, after all. But I think there's a good chance that a lot of us are here because we're looking for some truth. For as much as the kingdoms of the world are built in the blood of enemies, they are also founded on fabrications. The world is built and sold and traded on lies, but not here. Not in the church. We are an outpost of the kingdom of God in foreign territory. We are strangers living in a strange land. And a lot of us are suffocating under the oppressive power of deception. I mean, the powers and the principalities of this world, they are constantly vying for our allegiances. They do everything in their power to convince us that power always comes through strength, that we have to draw lines in the sand, that tribalism will rule the day, and that the most important animal is either a donkey or an elephant. I think that's why so many of us rather than rejoicing in thanksgiving we actually dread thanksgiving it forces us to confront that wayward uncle with that undesirable political opinion who with every glass of wine continues to say things that just boils our blood hear me today when i say the donkey and the elephant can't and they won't save us they never will They exist in large part to instill a sense of freedom that actually results in isolation. They attempt to rid us of our baptismal identities and try to tell us that our political identities are more important. They promise salvation that just results in more division. But here's the good news, and I mean the really, really good news. Our king, our king rules from the throne of the cross. He is the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, even ours. That's why Jesus laughs at us. That's why Jesus laughs at us. Jesus laughs at our foolishness of thinking that we can save ourselves, that if we just pick the next right person, that everything will be perfect, that we can fix all the problems in the world. Well, you don't want to know? You want to know what's wrong with the world? Really, what's wrong with the world? We are. We are the problem. Jesus has come, not just to save us, but to fix us. When the bonds forged by the names on our bumper stickers become more determinative than the bonds that are formed in baptism, then we have failed. We have fallen prey to believing that donkeys and elephants are more important than the lamb. We are Jesus' people. We believe that telling the truth is what leads to a revolution of the heart. We believe Jesus is Lord, which means everything else is baloney. Jesus is the truth. and He also happens to be our king. Long live the king. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.